Welcome to the QPR podcast. I'm David Fraser. Uh, we are week whatever of the lockdown and week whatever of doing our podcast through Skype and week whatever of whoever that is on the end not knowing to put themselves on mute when they're not talking. But um, nevertheless, we carry on. So I am joined by three familiar faces, voices, one of which uh, is Paul Finney, who should be there, Paul. No. Or is this a long joke? This is a long joke from Paul because he was obviously the person who was making that noise in the intro. Hello, Paul. Says you're still here. Well, hopefully we'll, we will find you in a minute. That laugh, I think, was Clive. Clive Hello, mate. Going terrible. Hello, how are yeah, it's going really well, isn't it? Uh, it's going I'm really here. Well. Yeah, we I'm go. here. We know you're okay, here. Me, you? me, 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 me and Snoopy are here. Now, Snoopy may bark during the making of this podcast, but no animals have been hurt. Carry on. Snoopy, I should add, is your dog, for those people who don't know and to avoid any unconfusion. No, he's a confused hamster that barks. Of course he's a dog. Well, okay. I mean, no, it, <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, right. Uh, and... Chris is also there. Chris Charles. Hi, how you doing? Good. How are you, Chris? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, no one's no one's killed each other yet, so it's all good. That's handy. How's everyone's hair? How's everyone's? What's the state of everyone's hair currently? Well, mine is terrible. Mine. People are starting to realise why my nickname was Wig at school. It's just turning into Kevin Keegan, circa 1982. And are you? I have a. Go on, yeah, can I? Can I? Have... Can I ask some advice? You know the way I'm a baldy bugger and I want to shave my head with clippers, but I'm not allowed um, by everyone in the house because they say I look like an egg. Um, Shall I? Definitely. Bald people should definitely shave it all the way down. Thank you. You can't have a half half and half. I think you've been misadvised there. Thank you, David. I I shall do that today and look like an egg. Thank you. I think it's the only way to go. Uh, and Clive, I think Clive, if I'm right in saying you've already done the deed, haven't you? Uh, what with the the head shaving? Yeah, we got drunk and did it last weekend. Uh, it was it counted as an activity. It's very Beckham circa 2001 versus Greece. I think everybody uh, is walking around the house. I'll definitely, I'll definitely take that. Definitely take that. Um, I haven't gone there yet as far as hair, hair cutting is going, but I think we're all starting to suffer. So we'll see how it goes. Um, thank you all for joining us. Um, those of you that are stuck with us, you, lots of very kind messages that people have sent through for the podcasts that we've been doing during this lockdown period. We've pretty much done them every week. Some are themed, some are kind of just chatting through the bits and pieces that have happened in the last week. This one is not a theme because... We took the call that actually quite a lot has happened in the last week and enough for us to sort of talk about and have a catch-up uh, about. So if anybody is happening on this podcast for the first time, 
just to let you know, you can find our old episodes at qprpod.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at QPRPod. Find us on Facebook. Do send us in comments and feedback, especially at the moment on what shows you'd like to see and what you'd like to see us talking about. Um, right. We are quite lots happened this week, relatively speaking, given that there's um, been no games. One of which, um, which we will come on to later, but I wanted to reference the guest that we've got coming on in a few minutes. So uh, our old ex-midfielder, Michael Robinson, uh, sadly passed away this week. We've got one of his teammates, Peter Hucker, who played for us in the 80s. Uh, for those of you who weren't around then, coming on to talk about him and just to generally catch up. But we'll come on to that in a minute. There's a couple of other bits before then. So we should be... We should be in about 15 minutes' time, I believe, um, playing West Brom, um, which uh, after after a lovely final three wins against Millwall, Luton, Sheffield Wednesday, it would have been the last game of the season today. would have had the live podcast in a couple of days' time. Maybe playoffs, other things. How is everyone feeling about the fact that it's the end of the season, not the end of the season, could be the end of the season. Who knows if it's the end of the season? Well, why was it going to be played on a Saturday if it was going to be? Why was it not going to be played on a Sunday? I don't know, but it was. I double-checked this this morning, and apparently yeah. it was going to be on the second. Because I planned to go to the Irish Cup final, then come back and go to the van, and then go on to the West Bromwich game. Well, that'd have been put to shit, wouldn't it? That'd have been in, well, that'd have been West Brom, obviously. But yeah, so yeah, I don't know why that is. So they wouldn't like me. And I, it's going to be interesting now because there officially won't be any football for those of us that didn't get into the playoffs. To how this affects us now because every week we're missing a game and they can put up with playing Luton and playing this and playing that and now we're playing no one. Well, I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one is this project restart, which I know is more more pertaining to the Premier League, but they've already cancelled everything below professional football, I believe, and everything is off. The, fir- the first part of the question is what do you think we will see any more of the 2019-20 season? And then the second part is, if they somehow do, re- uh, sorry, if they don't restart it, how do you think things should end? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle this because um, I just, I don't see the behind closed doors thing um, at all. I just don't see how it practically works. I think we're basically being driven by Sky here because if Sky were to withdraw some or part of their broadcast fee, then the EFL is is in very big trouble basically overnight. So if Sky are saying you have to provide us with some content, uh, you know, by means of behind closed doors games in June, then that's what they're going to try and do. But the UK seems to have been about two weeks behind Europe on everything all the way through this. And you're seeing that France now is basically admitting there's not going to be any live sport for, for 2020. The Netherlands uh, did this last week. And I, I suspect in two weeks time, we'll do the same. The practicalities of trying to play nine rounds of championship football behind closed doors, whether you do it in one venue or several, aren't you basically requiring 24 groups of at least 50 people once you take into account coaches, medical staff, all the players, the subs and everything. You, you're basically requiring 24 groups of 50 people to isolate by themselves for a month play nine games of football without a single one of them catching this illness because presumably as soon as one of them does then everybody he's played with and against has to isolate for two weeks so what's that 
24 groups of 50 people, that's about 1,200 people, is it? So let's say six of them at six different clubs get ill after one week of football and three games. That's basically the whole fixture list blown apart for two weeks, isn't it? I just don't see how it works. That's without even getting into the morality of the amount of tests it would need to get them through it. You're talking about maybe 20,000 tests to get these 1,000 people through this month. And, you know, should we be funneling 20,000 tests towards just to to see if Leeds get promoted? I just, I don't, it doesn't sit very well with me. I, I don't see it practically and I don't see it morally. Well, it's interesting. There's two, there, there is very, two very clear sides to that. I, I do think logistically how, how I can see logistically how they could do it. And I can see logistically without knowing really anything that I'm talking about as far as the medical side of it is concerned. But I can see how they could do it because you could play it World Cup style. You could. You could effectively quarantine. You could do it. They do seven or eight games in a World Cup in a month, don't they? So you could see how that you could make an argument that they could somehow manage it within five weeks, maybe. If they were all in one place, kind of, I don't know, university campuses or whatever, quarant- basically quarantining them. But I agree. I agree with you. It seems it seems but, quite difficult. I, sorry, go on. Let me, I'll just say one more thing and I'll let, I'll let someone else have a go. At the start of all this, if you look at the, um, the sort of places that were really badly affected by this illness to start with, it was cruise ships and ski resorts. You know, exactly the sort of thing that we're talking about now. Let's have, you know, all the football teams locked down together in one very confined space. You know, isn't that a bit of a petri dish for the for the disease? You yeah. Know, yeah. I the, the, the one bit I'm not sure you're I'm not sure I agree with you on is the following of Holland and Belgium and France. And the reason for that is you haven't seen Spain follow it that way. You haven't seen Italy and you certainly haven't seen Germany who are even talking about starting next week. And I would presume that is because the deals and the TV deals in those leagues are worth so much more than the ones in Holland, the ones in Belgium, which I've I've, I've never really heard about any big deals being attached to. Uh, and probably the ones in France as well. Yeah, exa- yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. We're dangling by the uh, the thread of a Sky exec, basically. And I think uh, Canal Plus in France have agreed to pay 35 million of the 110 million euros that they were owed. Now, if Sky did that to the EFL, like I say, you'd you'd basically lose half the EFL overnight. We saw what happened when ITV Digital went bust, and that was just replaced by another television deal, albeit for a lower amount. If if Sky were to turn around to the AFL and, and pull the plug on the money, then uh, you'd, you'd lose half the league overnight. Sure. I think well, that's a worry as well. Like, so, 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 what I was going to say was, um, the only way they could possibly do it is if they played the games at training grounds, because most training grounds have a pitch exactly like the pitch they play on every Saturday for the, for the team that's playing there. Um, but you know, there is this, this 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 thing that people are running with that they think footballers are, are somehow because they're sports people are going to be more immune to this. And you you are putting people's um, health at risk, including trainers, managers, and everything else. I think until we get this cleared up, I I, I just can't see it because if one person comes down with it just because of the sky, there's going to be an absolute outcry. And so I can't see it finishing. How they how they sort it out. I, I have no idea. It's going to be an absolute nightmare. And of course, you've also got the p- people will be demanding money for the season tickets back as well. I guess the whole thing is 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 a is a is a cluster. It really is. But yeah, I can't see how they can do it unless they play it in training grounds because we all know if you play in the stadiums, wherever they play it, even if they play at neutral stadiums, 
people will drive there. It's that simple. Yeah, I was saying well, this. I, yes- I, I was saying this yesterday. If let's say Leeds have a game to get promoted, wherever you play it, there's going to be four or five thousand Leeds fans there in in the car park or wherever they can get. They'll see it. They'll wear it as a badge of honour. You know, it just it doesn't work for me. Sorry, Chris. No, I was just going to say. Well, you've also got the issue of how many of the players are going to actually want to do that. I mean, there's a talk, isn't there, Sergio Aguero? Um, you know, feeling uh, slightly nervous about coming back here. I mean, you've got to remember, it's like, you know, we've got one of the worst death rates in the world. And like Clive said, like rounding everybody up in the same place, you could be asking for trouble. I, I think, though, that the issue is whether you, it's whether you um, finish this season at some point or, or, or whether you scrap it, i.e., you know, maybe you can, if we're not starting again till October, maybe you finish, maybe you finish off this season and then have a, have a, have a uh, like a contained version of next season. I suspect it will be whatever whatever Sky want from from the options. That will be the one they take. I mean, I've seen it suggested that maybe you promote just the top two and then try and do the playoffs in June just to give them some content. Um, there's no there's no sort of easy answer, is it? The other another issue in all of this is our our squad certainly, and I bet most people's are. They've all gone home. They're scattered far and wide. Ryan Manning's back in Ireland. Jordan Hugel's back. Up north, uh, Ilias Chair is back in Antwerp, I think. So you would have there is some travelling required to bring them all all back in. You know, there's that challenge as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, point. The, the the other issue, I think, as well, uh, whatever happens in Liga, and obviously they've ended that. Um, they've given the they've given the talk to PSG. I think they've done it on a points per game ratio. But then there's already talk because Amiens got relegated. Uh, Leon having spent most of the season in fifth, uh, they, they've ended up being seventh. So they're talking of, uh, of suing for tens of millions, Ami and the talk. So are you re- you're going to open up a can of worms, whatever happens? I think that's we said that right at the start when we spoke to Lee Hughes in lockdown week one, didn't we? You know, everybody's just going to lawyer up. The lawyers are going to get uh, very rich over this. I was listening to Paul Cook, the Wigan manager earlier this week, um, and I mean, he was he was pretty honest that said that, you know, scrapping it now works really well for them because they've been bottom three all year, but had a really good run in the months before the lockdown and are outside the bottom three at the moment. But he pointed out that uh, Charlton have been outside the bottom three for the entire season, apart from the last 20 minutes of the last game we played. So for them to get relegated, for them to get relegated on the back of that would be incredibly harsh. Uh I also think, so, so first of all, I think the players, the players and the manager's point is a really good one. And you talked about Aguero, Chris, but in the Premier League, Pep Guardiola's mother lost his mother to coronavirus. Yes, so, yes. Exactly. And there'll be a number of people in the squads or, or the support staff of all these 50-odd people for each team that will have gone through the same thing. And they surely will be thinking... Why would we take this potentially unnecessary risk in coming back this early? If I if I take off a football fan hat and put a general sports fan hat on, I also think there are some sports that you can see how they could come back sooner than others. Football is not so. Formula One, for example, I think they're talking about coming back in a few weeks. But that makes sense because... That's relatively, that's no contact. That's no contact. People are in a car and you can sort of work out how things could be a lot safer. Potentially horse racing. I could even, you could even make the argument for cricket, how cricket can be, is going to be 
would logically feel safer than a lot of the contact sports. But I just think with football, with I know they're talking about ruling out spitting, but kind of the, you know, it's a contact sport, isn't it? You go up for a header, you go in for a tackle. You, you The players don't leave each other. Um, and then you've got the physios coming on and off and all that sort of thing. It just, it feels a bit too soon. I can see how they can do it, but it feels a bit too soon and a bit not quite right to be bringing back football quite so soon. It's- the whole thing is, 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 is it Clive's got to be on the head as usual because he's right. It's all about money. Money will decide this, not the welfare of footballers, not the welfare of fans, not um, league positions, not promotion, not relegation. It's all about the money and how they decide to use it. But you can't, you can't put people's health at risk. You really can't. And um, footballers are no different from anybody else. So I can't see it coming back truly until maybe October time. And then maybe they could finish off the FA Cup as a, as a pre-season thing and then start the league, finish it after nine games, have a short pre-season and go again. But then you've got the Euros, so it's a mess. They're probably going to have to write the season off, which means Liverpool and Leeds fans will be absolutely unbearable for about 20 years. Well, I think if they do that, yeah. I think if they do that, Liverpool will get the league, won't they? Go on, Chris. Well, yeah, but then... No, all I, all I was going to say was, as, 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 as QPR fans, I mean, would you rather would you rather see this season completed at some point, even if it's in December, and then have a shortened season for next season, or would you rather just scrap this season altogether and then go start next season uh, in quotes as normal? Get on with the next one, I'd say, from our point of view. I think. Well, I don't know. I think, yeah. I think, I think, I think we're making a so we're making a run for the playoffs. I mean. I, the form that we were in those last few games, you, you definitely couldn't write us out. So yeah, but but we're making a run from behind from the playoffs. Whereas if you start the season again, you got a whole season to try and get there. So I, I, just from a if if the, if we're getting the squad together to a point where it's doing really well, you'd rather have the full season running at it, or I would anyway, than a you know whatever it is, twenty five percent chance now with nine games left. I think it would yeah, put an advantage. No, but David, then you're going to have to hold a you know, new squad on budget, on wages, on transfers. It'll be, this squad will get decimated. And I, I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm not sure that we would be in a worse position in comparison to other clubs in that scenario than we have been because... Although QPR has its own problems, it's started to sort itself out in the last few years, and it's going in an upward direction as far as managing the business and the and the finances is concerned. And many others were going in the opposite direction. And then a tsunami, for want of a better word, like this hits. And and what comes out of that is it means the businesses that are being run as better like well will last longer, will be more resilient, and will, should recover quicker. In so so I, I agree with you on that. And we've spoken very frequently about the job that Lee Hughes has done turning the uh, the ship around. The, the one concern that does nag at the back of my mind is we are still reliant on the owners writing a check for X amount each season to to fund the losses. And that's clearly going to that that loss is clearly going to rise. We don't know by how much, but we're obviously going to lose money through this. 
and our owners uh, basically run hotels and airlines, and that's just about the worst business to be in at the moment. So yeah. there is just that nagging doubt at the back of my mind that they might look at, you know, when they're looking at things that they could get off their balance sheet, you know, propping up a championship football club might uh, might not be high on the priority list, if you see what I mean. Do, do just quick question before we go on to Peter. Do we make a profit on match day? I, I do we do we operate at a loss on, on match day? Does anyone? Yes. Well, if you if you include yeah. the play if you include the player wages, then we we operate at a loss. But it, it it doesn't. You know, we make money through through hosting home games. Apart from I think those silly cup games with the one stand open. Um, yeah, we we do because. Who's has spoken before about the difference it makes when we play Saturday three o'clock as opposed to Sunday at twelve o'clock? So yeah, it does bring money in. But the trouble yeah, is, no, it's, I, it's all it's, it's all part of the package of life, isn't it? It's wages and everything else. So we're still you, that point about having to top the club up is actually vital because we'll probably end up being sold in a budget because the airline industry and the hotel industry is gone. Um, so yeah, that that is a real worry, and I hadn't yeah. actually thought of that until you said that. To be fair. Yeah, and who's who's going to want to buy a football club in in this in this climate? The other thing that happened this week, which I'm sure we were coming on to, is the uh, the players deferring a portion of their wage. I mean, the key the key word there being deferring rather than just not well, getting. I mean, that's kicking a can down the road, isn't it? Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer the discussion about deferrals to later in the podcast, if that's all right. Um, because we are, yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. And I think we'll come back to that. But as usual, in the fine podcast tradition, we're about 15 minutes late for our guests because uh, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've had a good chat. So let's hold, hold that thought there about the deferral. Just before we speak to Peter, um, for those fans who weren't around in the mid-80s, Paul, give us mm. a sense of the sort of player that Michael Robinson was, the contribution he made to QPR um, uh, uh, and, and, and how he was when he played for us. Well, to be honest with you, he was, he was such a part of that team that he, you wouldn't have thought that he came from Liverpool and been in European cup finals and stuff. I mean, Chris will tell you as well. He, 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 he worked generally hard and he didn't come down and give it the big time Charlie lock. And he's, he seemed to be a thoroughly decent human being. And, Obviously, people are going to talk about the Chelsea match and stuff like that there, but because of the way he was as a person, it's I, I remember him being just hardworking, trying his best. His goal ratio, people would say, wasn't um, as it should have been for a striker, I guess, but then he did a lot of work for others on the ball and he cut in quite a lot and stuff like that. Now, I thought he was a good player. Um, as I say, the, the press and the media started talking, stopped talking about him because he didn't play for Liverpool anymore. But I think he played really well for us. But it just shows you the calibre of that QPR side at the time, that he fit it in so well, did a really good job. And as I say, didn't give it the big time Charlies, which for people that come down from other clubs like Liverpool winning European trophies and that there was unusual. And he seemed like a genuinely good guy. And also, people forget as well, he went on then to, after we let him go after the, the Bill Cup final, of memory serves you well, um, he, he went out to Spain and he became one of the first proper pundits, you know, we'd seen to Greasy and people like that, though, you know, but he was one of the, the thinking man's professionals and went to Spain, mastered the language and, you know, went on to become a really successful pundit and talked a lot of sense. So it'd be interesting to see what Peter says as a, as a person, because I would, I would look at him as he played. I don't know what you think, Chris, and think that he came across as a genuinely good soul. 
Yeah, I don't think, and I, and it, I, I would not saying this just because he just because he's passed away. I think anyone would. He wasn't there very long, as I recall. It was only like two seasons, and obviously, yeah, yeah he. You said he'd come. I think he won the European Cup with Liverpool. Um, but yeah, there was none of that. He, he he slotted straight in, and let's not forget he took us to a final. I know we don't like to talk about that final, but it was a final nevertheless, where we beat Liverpool on the way, and of course that 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 one from the halfway line he scored against Chelsea. Which, if you do nothing else in your career for QPR, you're going to be remembered for that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think just the genuine, and like you said, I mean all the all the top players in Spain coming out this week to pay tribute to him and uh, took him to took him to their hearts. Let's have a let's have a word with Peter now. Then. Peter, thank you for joining us. Um, you're always very well regarded by QPR fans uh, for uh, your spell at the club in the 80s. One of the things we did want to talk to you about this morning was um, the unfortunate passing of our former midfielder, Michael Robinson, who we've yeah. just been talking about and a couple of the guys have been talking about their memories of him. Former teammate of yours, what, what are your memories of Michael um, just a really nice guy. Uh, always had a smile on his face. Always had a story to tell. That's for sure. Um, you know, he used to he used to sort of brag a bit that he'd come from Liverpool and won, you know, a treble at, at Liverpool. And uh, we used to sort of tease him and go, "That's why they kicked you out" and things like that. But uh, always took things in in um, in good faith. And uh, you could see why he went on to to do radio. He had that charm personality spoke really easy you know his stories were always good um yeah a very very sad day i mean i knew he'd i knew he'd contracted cancer um obviously a couple of years ago whatever um but always sad when when somebody you know so well passes and um uh, paul was just saying that he, he had obviously come off the back of like you said having won a number of trophies at Liverpool, but he never sort of came across as a big-time Charlie like we're quite used to with a lot of players that come to QPR these days. No, no, he wasn't like that. He, uh, it, it was all done, in, you know, in, you know, comically. He uh, he was very self-depreciating, actually. Um, and as I said, just a nice guy. He just, you know, the smile you saw whenever you saw him was a smile he had all the time. Um uh, just uh, a really nice guy, solid footballer, you know, no doubt about that. Improved, improved QPR when he came for sure. Um, yeah, and a very, very sad time. And and for oh, sorry, Paul, were you going to come in? Well, I was just going to say as well. Don't forget, um, hi Peter, it's Paul for the here. Um, as well, the players he had around him, like you know, it, it, there was there was Wayne Ferdinand, there was Johnny Byrne, there was Gary Bannister, and he seemed to improve there. Give a wee bit, Peter, as well. I thought when he was with us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, he's come from one best teams in the country, you know, um, and he'd learned a lot, obviously, from the coaching there. He brought a lot to the game. You know, he was always up there with suggestions of how to play and what to do. Um, and he was respected, obviously, because uh, you know you don't you don't come from Liverpool and uh, without being a, a decent player and without having learned anything. Um, and I think you're right; he did improve everybody's game. Um, he did things that we were we weren't used to, or the players weren't used to. But once they got the hang of it, yeah, I think he did improve everybody's game. And um, well, th- thank you for that. 
Peter. Thanks for those memories of Michael. Um, it's been a, a couple of years, a year or two, I think, since you last joined us. How is how is an ex-footballer coping with lockdown? And how are you and what are you up to these days? Um, well, I mean, coping, yes, coping as best you can, the same as everybody else, really. Um, obviously, I'm still running soccer schools, so they've all gone into mothballs, um, uh, which makes it, you know, for kids. So it makes it very difficult because now would be the time that we'd be signing players for next year um, for our teams. Um, so that's very difficult, trying to keep in touch with everybody basically by WhatsApp and whatever way you can, sending out little training sessions for them to do. Um, but obviously I had that and I have a, uh, a retro furniture shop, which obviously, although I don't have to really be shut, um, there's no one about, so it's pointless opening it. So financially, not great like everybody else, but we just have to get on with it, I think. Indeed. And, and we were just talking about this potential restart of football and the difficulties that might come with it. As an ex-player, what would your view be on how it looks like the football establishment is trying to get the game back up and running in the next sort of month, six weeks or so? Uh, I don't think they have a clue like everybody else. I think they're just throwing ideas out there and hoping that they could draw something together. I personally can't see it myself. Um, it's logistically just a nightmare. You know, going on now to say it's going to be neutral stadiums or stadiums away from people, you know, I don't see the point. You know, if you're going to do it and you're worried about people congregating around the, the grounds, then do it properly. Shut the roads off all around the grounds um, and keep people away or go and do it in Scotland or, or somewhere else. You know, it, I just can't see it. There's too many uh, people invested in it, you know, the Premier League want one thing, the FA want one thing, the players want one thing, um, the fans want one thing. It would be fantastic to have football, even if it was just on TV, because I think that would give everybody a boost. Massive amount of football supporters about, but I just don't see how they do it. Just wanted to talk, the BBC did a, um, a poll this week, or not a poll, they wrote an article saying the best championship teams of all times they had Chelsea 83-84, they had Leeds, they had Reading, and not even in the, in the mention in dispatches was the 82-83 team, which I think was shameful. Well, <laughs> QPR aren't, aren't, one of the, aren't a uh, fashionable side, are they, really? Um, that's the problem. They live in the shadow of Chelsea, never should do. Um, but, you know, money talks with Chelsea now. Um, but no, back in that time, I thought, uh, I think it may have been dismissed a little bit because of the pitch, but we won as many away as we did at home. Um, yeah. And, you know, and teams gave us good games on that pitch. It wasn't the advantage that everyone um, expected. Remember, they only had to play on it once a season. We had to play on it 24 times or how many games it was, 22 times which where yeah. people say, oh, that's an advantage. Well, it isn't. You go from grass to plastic, grass to plastic, grass to plastic. I'm not sure how that is an advantage. You know, no, where teams play on grass all season, they have to prepare one game on plastic. Yeah, no, that's, so, a, that's a good shout, mate. 
But I mean, I just remember the uh, sadly old enough to remember that, and I can remember I remember six one against Middlesbrough. We had a five one against someone who scored four at least three occasions. Then we yeah. got up to the first division and, f- and finished fifth, top team in London, beat Arsenal yeah. at their place, uh, beat beat Spurs. I mean, and, uh, and then before that was the FA Cup final. It was just an incredible three seasons under Terry Venables. Oh yeah, I mean, um, he was he was a breath of fresh air into the club anyway. Um, he had fantastic ideas. He was one of these players, a bit like Klopp, a bit like Pep. He could get the players to buy into what he wanted to do. Um, and he was doing this rotation thing, you know, which all teams are doing now. Um, right at the start of that, you know, there is, there is a, I think it's against Middlesbrough. I think it's the first goal against Middlesbrough when we beat them six. Um, if, you, if you look at it, I give the ball to John Gregory, who's come out of midfield. Now, he's rotated with Glenn Roder, and he passes it to him in midfield. Um, I think Tony Celia had come in off the wing, um, and somebody else had swapped with Clive Allen. You know, there was so much movement in that team um, mm. that people couldn't, couldn't match it. And people say, oh, they do it now. You know, the only thing that's different now is this, you know, high press that some teams do. It, it, it's no different. Football hasn't changed. The players have got a lot fitter, but football hasn't changed. Yeah, I mean that. I mean Terry. Well, I mean Terry Venables rewarded for that by going to Barcelona, and then uh, we, we we lose Terry and get Alan Munnery, Munnery, which is like the equivalent of replacing Ronaldo with Franny Jeffers. I think you're being a bit unfair on Franny there, comparing him with uh, <laughs> comparing him with Munnery. <laughs> Peter, yeah. the, um, the the QPR players have, have agreed to take a wage deferral this week. Were you, yeah. as a as a footballer, were you ever asked to take a pay cut or pay deferral? Uh, I was at Aldershot, yeah, when they were going bust, yeah. Oh, um, of course, yeah, because they absolutely. they went in the middle of the season, didn't they? They did, yeah. I mean, you know, um, did I take a pay cut there? No. Uh, quite simply because it's a different thing. The chairman there, or the two, the chairmen, because apparently there were two of them, um, and both had 51% of the shares, never quite worked that one out, um, were crooks. Whereas this is a much, a much more different thing. I don't know. If I was earning that sort of money, I don't know why I wouldn't, to be honest with you. It's not going to kill them, is it? No. No. But, but, but for me, it's individual choice. And, and I wouldn't condemn anyone for not doing it. Everybody has their own way of doing it. You know, they had a go at Ozil for not, not accepting it and then find out he spends millions on charities all over. You know, it's, it's personal choice for me. Um, the contract is signed um, and the contract has to be stuck by. However, it now comes, you know, if, now the contracts, people who are out of contract, if this carries on and they want to play the games, then mm. the clubs are now asking them to come back and play for nothing. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't, no. you, you know, the owners and, and, the, and the chairman can't dictate one thing and then dictate another thing the next day. So for me, it's personal choice. Um, well... Peter, thank you. It's always good to talk to you. We must uh, get on, but thank you for coming on, joining us, giving us your memories of Michael, and we, we hope you're all keeping well uh, yeah. down there. I, I, you, believe, you live outside of London these days. 
No, no, still in London, over in East London. Oh, oh well, there's, there's, yeah. there's my research shot. Um, <laughs> keep well, keep well, Peter, yeah. and well um, hopefully we'll see you uh, down at the stadium whenever that will be uh, soon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice thanks thanks a lot. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, look, guys, on that, um, the la- one of the last things we-, we talked about there, obviously, was this wage deferral, which I-, I cut Clive off just before we got on the phone to Peter Hucker. So if I press, if I unpause you, Clive, on that point, let's talk about the wage deferral that the players have agreed to this week. What do you make of that? Keyword being deferral. It just kicks the problem down the uh, down the road a little bit. I think Lee Hughes admitted as much on Sky, didn't he? There's a, I think he called it the ultimate comeuppance or or something something like that uh, approach in the football league because you know the wages are going to have to be paid at some point, and again it comes back to uh, comes back to the Sky money. Um, Sky have actually got a massive American backer. They got bought by Comcast last year. A lot of these problems could be solved by someone from Sky coming out and giving some clarity on what they would need uh, and to have to, to keep paying the maximum amount of their fee and, you know, at what point they would think about withdrawing the fee. Just, you know, maybe they have done that um, behind closed doors with the, with the EFL, but that's, that's what it all comes down to, the TV money. I still don't understand why... Well, they're only ever talking in football about deferrals and why players can't be asked to take a cut or renegotiate their contracts and why um, players can't be furloughed, although I understand it has happened further down the road. These conversations that everyone is having in every single business and contract it's not like footballers are the only people that, that have uh, contracts. So I don't understand why the football industry generally seems to be quite timid about having this discussion. Now, I think that background noise is Finney flushing the loo, which means he took himself off mute, which means he has a very pertinent point to make. So go on, Paul. Thank you very much, people. I appreciate that. And I feel so much better now. Um, The thing is, with the referral thing, I think it probably, that sounds to me like it wasn't a unified decision. Maybe two or three players in the squad didn't want to do it. So the whole squad paid the price. But to be honest with you, it's probably the reagents, it's probably the people around them. Um, it would be great if players could. And I, I don't agree with knocking players all the time. I hate that. And I think they're decent human beings like the rest of us, and they probably a lot of them will do the right thing, but someone, so they have to go with the minority sometimes. But yeah, the deferral, like Clive says, is it really is kicking the can down the road and also it doesn't really help anyone when the club staff are taking huge cuts. I can't see why some players can't. That's my own personal opinion. I don't know the full story, but I think solidarity would be good. I don't think I think the staff are, are they? I thought I thought that I thought the club staff were being furloughed at full pay, unless I've got that wrong. I think it's a bit of both I think there's some um there's certainly a lot of the higher earners earners are helping pay for the other people and stuff like that there, but people will still be taking a wage cut, uh, Chris. And David and, and Clive, yeah. I, 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 would, I would suggest it's probably not as bad as it could have been because of the people are helping, but they'll still be taking wage cuts. Everyone I think a lot, of it, a lot of this is being driven by the PFA, isn't it? And uh, the uh, malignant toad that, that runs that organisation is, is probably well not too, 
probably not who you'd want in charge of this, but uh, I mean, he would just say he's doing his, his best for his members. But to me, it looks like the PFA are being quite uh, stubborn on this and, and refusing to budge. Um, the players are sellable assets, aren't they? That's why they are, they're always treated differently. If the club breaches the contract in any way, then a sellable asset can walk away for free. That's the, uh, the sort of nuts and bolts of it. I mean, but I'm sure there must be some sorry, of the Chris. players who. No, I was going to say, I'm sure there must be some of the players who are taking the deferral, who at the end of all this will say, no, it's fine. Just, just, just keep it. I'm sure, I'm sure there are some players in that position. Uh, who, what's that noise, Paul? What are you doing? Yeah, we, don't, we, we just don't know what Finney's doing when he's off mute, but it, we, we are, we're all desperate to know. Um, <laughs> I'm, not doing, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here with a dog. I. Drinking I Coke. Think this deferral is a deferral for now, pending what happens with the Sky deal. But it goes back to what Clive said. Whatever a particular Sky executive decides is what's going to go. That's a deferral based on the fact that the clubs are still expecting to get their money from Sky. If something emerges in the next few weeks that says they're not going to get paid by Sky or by broadcasters or the club's income is cut, that deferral very quickly could turn into something else. Um, yeah, them not getting it. Um, but look, I suppose on the positive, it does seem that there is, there seems to be some harmony at the club relatively, given the situation. The players do seem there, there was just I know the statement that was put out is of course a, a piece of public relations uh, propaganda, for want of a better word. But it does appear like everybody's fairly joined up and working together. And, and Lee Hoos has been pretty transparent in the media and pretty honest about what he's saying. So that at least sort of gives me some hope. Again, going back to the point earlier, that the club and the people in the club are sort of being run in the right way and the people in the club are, are the right kind of people at the moment. I think, I think you know, the main thing is in all this, guys, when, when we, you actually think about it, at least we're going to have a club to come back to there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of fans, maybe more have clubs to come back to. And that is a real tragedy in all this because for once it's not their fault. Well, let's hope so. Right. Um, we've got to wrap this up. I only have one thing to wrap it up with, uh, which is what should we do the podcast about next week? Been lots discussed uh, on Twitter. We've had worst games thrown at us. We've had villains thrown at us. QPR villains. We've had kits. Someone has suggested a kit, and someone has also suggested uh, managers, our favourite managers. Other suggestions are available. Um, but um, anyone got a preference about what we should talk about next on the podcast? Not not next just, today, by the way. Next episode. Why don't we just stick it out to the vote? We can, Chris. Yeah. Then that, this particular podcast ends in about thirty seconds. No, I think he means on Twitter. Twitter or whatever. I know, I know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, but you just killed the discussion. But yeah, we can do that. We, we, uh, yeah, we can do that. So what should we say? Well, should we have some uh, finalists then? Of those three or four that I suggested. Kids, worst manager and villains. Okay. That works for me. All right. I'm Anyone more else? That was all category. Yeah. Exactly. Anyone else? Uh, anything? Any final thoughts from anyone? Uh, I'll finish with some good news, um, just to, to cheer everybody up. I noticed um, 
that Dave McIntyre on Twitter uh, earlier in the week confirmed that uh, Abire Eze has got one of uh, the famous Lee Hu's options in his contract. So he's not actually out of contract in 2021. He's out of contract in 2022, um, according to Dave Mack. And he's usually spot on with these things. So that would be very welcome news because uh, two years on his contract uh, is a lot better than one, bearing in mind that the, the summer transfer uh, market looks like it's just barely going to exist. Mm. Um, so that pressure to sell perhaps isn't as pressing as we thought it was. And that is brilliant news because that gives us a chance to really build and it shows you behind the scenes they are actually uh, doing the right contracts that suits everyone and not just the players' agents. So well done to everyone on that one. And yeah, like Clive says, the transfer market's going to be absolutely in bits. So hopefully we can get a couple more seasons out of these players. And who knows? We think we'll see the last time. We might see them lift the championship. Shall I give you the other side of that argument? The other Please, side I was happy. Ar- the other side of that argument is everybody is so hard up that the value of players in the transfer market goes down, but at the same time, clubs are desperate to sell. So the, 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 <laughs> the devil's advocate is that QPR are in such dire straits come the summer that whereas they would have previously sold Abire as they thought, I don't know, I'll figure out the air, 10 million, that he might go, they might be offered 2 million for him and they might feel that they have to take it. But you have a, you have get, a great yeah, Saturday, everyone. <laughs> but you get yeah, you get you get you get more for a player that's out of contract in 2022 than one that's out of contract in 2021. How, however much more it is remains to be seen. But it's it's a, be, it's a better position than we thought we were in. Yeah, um, bloody hell! What a do, monkey. Well, talking of Eze, I mean, he was on a TV show this week, and um, uh, we, and he came across again very well, very calm, very thoughtful, um, very humble. And Graham, yeah, Graham soon is, you know, talking to him, saying he, he believes he's going to be a, a, a top six. And the, the usual no disrespect to QPR, meaning absolute disrespect to QPR, um, that he's going to be playing for a top six club within the next couple of years. So I hope he does. But I hope if that happens, they are going to play top dollar for him, regardless of what's going on at the moment. The best bit of his appearance on Sky was uh, that he got interrupted by a Sky text alert on his mobile phone informing him that he was on Sky. Ah. <laughs> Very good. Can, can I, can I, my, 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 yeah. So yeah. my end of show was going to be, how good was Gareth Ainsworth last week hosting that quiz dressed up as someone from Kiss? That was possibly one of the finest moments I've seen from QPR. It was superb. Well, it's Jamie Mackey tonight, isn't it? And have we, he's following Gareth Ainsworth dressing up as Gene Simmons and Clint Hill in a tuxedo. So whatever Jamie Mackey, he, he's got to raise the game even further this week, surely. I fear a Mr. Motivator kind of look. Well, I what after his uh, TikTok, yeah. I think he'll be in drag. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, right. Unless anyone has anything else, pauses for Finney. Then that'll that be good. the end of the podcast. That'll be the uh, that'll be the podcast for this week, chaps. Thank you very much. Actually, can I just say? Can I just? Can I just say? Can I just? Hang on, we hang on, we sat here. Snoopy, I'd like to thank you for everything you've done for the podcast and not barking through this one. Thank you very much. Thank you to Snoopy Finney. Every dog has it today, and today is Wolf Day. Why?
Thank you for listening. It's been the QPR podcast. We will be back next week. QPR. QPR.